I'm going to read two passages of Scripture this morning. First from Isaiah 49. It's kind of a, a background thought um, as we look at Romans 5. So Isaiah 49, verse 8 through 18. And it says this. Let's give it attention. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances. To say to the captives, come out. And to those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat down on them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. I will turn all my mountains into roads, and my highways will be raised up. See, they will come from afar, some from the north, some from the west, some from the region of Aswan. Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Your children hasten back, and those who laid you waste depart from you. Lift up your eyes and look around. All your children gather and come to you. Surely as I live, declares the Lord, you will wear them all as ornaments. You will put them on like a bride. This is God's word. Now let's turn to Romans chapter 5. We'll be focusing today on Romans 5 verse 2. We're looking at how we can have hope for the future. And as, as kind of the theme, of, as a central theme of this passage. So let's give attention once again to what God says to us. Romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you praise, O Lord. Uh, that you are, have given us your word, that you spoke to us in a way we can understand, to give us your mind and heart, to show us a way back to you. And Father, we pray that you would work in us each faith, that we might see it, 
We know we can have the words, but unless you work the faith, we cannot see the things that you would have us to see. Oh, Lord, I pray for each person who's listening today or will listen in the future, these recordings. I pray that you would use this message to encourage them where they need to be encouraged, to challenge them where they need to be challenged, to help them grow where they need to grow. And above all, that they would see you more clearly in their lives. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. When, um, if you go to Madrid, Spain, you, you can visit the palace of the, of the king of Spain. So Spain still has a king, and his palace is there. And you can actually go into the palace. You can walk out on the terrace, and you can see a beautiful view of the surrounding area. You can go into the, the forest where the kings used to, to walk. And um, all this is stuff that you can do that's developed in the last couple decades. Before that time, you had no access to that area. This was all just incredible riches, incredible beauty that only a few people could ever go in and see. And But now, for a small fee, and some, to at least go into the palace, you can go see the, really the riches of the world in this palace. And it's astonishing. You have access to the palace and to all the grounds of the king. It's all been opened up to everybody. And that's what this passage is about. It's about having access to a place we might not have access, which is the very throne room of God. And I want to talk about what it's like to enter into the throne room of God. But kind of before we do that, let me kind of come back down onto earth to show us how significant that this is. And when you think about this, it's, it, it, this passage talks about how we view ourselves, how we think of ourselves. How we think of ourselves is shaped in many ways by the messages we've heard throughout our lives. Some of these messages are heard before we can ever really even begin to process them. And they get down deep, and we may not even really understand what's going on. It comes back to our youngest years and our school days, and we take these messages and they become part of our our self-image or our view of ourselves. And uh, it's amazing as adults how you can go back and talk about things that they heard when they were kids and how much of a power they have over their lives to shape the way that they actually think about themselves. And the way that negative statements made 30, 40, 20 years ago can become a basis for how we view ourselves. And then we carry these things into adulthood. And we have a, a negative view of ourselves for a variety of reasons. Some of these things are are false guilt, we might say, that we think we should be able to do things that we can't, like make everybody happy. And some of that may come from messages we receive from our parents that continually told us, you should be doing this and this and this and this and this. And it really wasn't realistic. It was just them reacting to the situation. It could also be the fact that we would like to be doing things, but we're not able to do the things that we like. We'd like to be in a situation that we're in, we would uh, a, a different situation, but we can't get there. And so we tend to feel negatively about ourselves as if we can't do anything or make ourselves better. And then besides all that, then there's things that we actually really have done wrong, that are real sins, that we carry, carry with us. And you know, it's interesting, we may go for a time and not think about them, but then something happens and we remember the things that we've done wrong. We remember the people that we've hurt. And it can drive us to despair and lead us down even to a path of self-destruction. 
Now imagine a person who has felt all their lives that they were worthless, that they had no value, that they, they were not acceptable. They were a terrible son. They were a terrible daughter. They became a terrible parent. They were, they were not acceptable. Nobody would like them. And then they're ushered into the very throne room of God to be evaluated by the God who sees every single aspect of our lives. To be judged and evaluated. It would seem like this is just another opportunity for us to experience condemnation. Another negative message that we're going to receive. But then imagine that that person goes into the throne room of God. And instead of, instead of experiencing condemnation, experiences grace, acceptance, favor, the smiling face of approval. That's what this passage talks about. We are brought in, we have access to the throne room of God, and there we encounter grace, God's favor upon us, God's acceptance, God's approval. If we could actually see ourselves going into the throne room of God and meeting, seeing the glory of God revealed and seeing his smiling face upon us of love and acceptance, and we really could get that experience in our mind, don't you think that we would come back to earth and all the opinions of men and women around us would be a lot less significant after that? That's what this passage is about. We have access into this grace. Now, it's great to experience that, but you know, we all know people who come at us and smile, and then the next minute they're all mad at us. And so we say, is that going to be God? Well, that's what this passage tells us, that uh, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. The idea there is not simply that we happen to be in it for the moment, but that, it's, that it's, we're there permanently. We stand there We're firmly fixed. It's like there's the favor of God and that's where we're stuck. That's what God says about his people. In the passage we read in Isaiah chapter 49, we have a beautiful declaration about the church, the people of God, where where God says, says to his people, his people say, God's forsaken me. I don't stand in his favor any longer. And, And God says, can a mother... Forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Generally not. But sadly, it does happen. But God says this though she may forget, I will not forget you. You stand in the grace and you'll keep standing there. And the reason we stand in that grace. Is because of what? Because of who? Because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice it says at the beginning of this passage, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. That through whom is about Christ. Because you see, our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom? We don't just come into the throne room and get grace because we deserve it. Or because God doesn't care about sin or wrong things that we've done. He takes those seriously. But because we come in through Christ. Through Him. We enter into the throne room of God. And so, 
That's what the Apostle Paul says. Then who can condemn us? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is he who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding or praying for us. Notice, so that when we go into the throne room of God, that which could condemn us is our sin. Christ has paid for it. He's overcome it in his resurrection. And he's there in the very throne room of God, arguing our case. He's arguing it not because he says, well, they actually did everything right. But he says, I've dealt with it all through my death. I've overcome it through my resurrection. And now I present to you my righteousness. Accept them on that basis. And the father says, absolutely, I'll do it. Always. Anyone who comes in Christ and goes to the father has access into that grace in which we now stand. And how do we get that access to Christ? We simply accept it like a free gift. It's a gift that God offers to us. Not on the basis of what we've done or will do or are doing, but simply on the basis of what Christ has done. And so what that means is that, you see, we have access through and we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. That we accept the gift that God has to offer. And we say yes to it. That we want what Christ gives us. We want him to go in for us. We want his death applied to our account. We want the power of his resurrection life. We say yes to that and we get it. It's not because faith is so great, but because faith accepts from another person. If I, if I ask you to say, hey, will you, um, will you go take care of my dog this afternoon? Um, and then you say yes, then I trust you that you're going to take care of my dog. That's faith. And so you see that faith is uniquely suited to be the instrument by which we receive the blessings from God. Because faith doesn't say, I'll do it. It says, you'll do it for me, and I have confidence in you. And in essence, in a much greater way, that's what we're saying to Jesus. I can't enter into the throne of God. I can't have a relationship with God. You go for me so that I can have that relationship. And and Jesus says, then I'll do it all and take care of it all for you. That's what faith does. And so it's important. Faith is so important for us to have. It's so important for us to say yes. And each one of us should consider this day. Have we said yes to God's offer to let us come into his throne room free through Jesus? If you haven't accepted that, today is the day. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter how, you, how badly you, you have acted. Doesn't matter how many wrong things you've done or what anybody thinks. That is free to you today. If you have any questions about that, I encourage you to talk to me. We have the little card in our bulletin. You can talk about Christ inviting inviting Christ into your life. Check that, and we can talk about it this week. But, you know, it's not just we have access by faith, not just in the sense that um, that's how we get into this access, but it's how we live this access, we might say. Because we can't see with our eyes that God accepts us. What we see is the people around us. What we see is their angry faces. What we see is their disapproval. And that's what tends to shape us. That's why we need the power of faith to see the accepting face of God that will enable us to live out of that acceptance rather than out of the acceptance of other people. To let our self-worth 
be shaped by God's valuation of us rather than what other, how other people would value us. But that requires faith. And how do we exercise that faith? We take it into our mind. We take time to think about it. And we say yes to it. Day in, day out, each morning, each afternoon, each night, day by day, moment by moment. And that's how it becomes a part of us. So that we begin to live instead of out of a sense of seeking everybody's opinion or having to have something happen with somebody, even someone dear to us, a spouse, a father, mother, a child, that gives us approval that then will enable us to live. We live out of the approval of God, which then enables us to relate to other people, not as a God, but as a human. And then we could just love them for where they are. So it enables us to have a firm foundation we can stand and we can love. That is what God is offering to us. And that's what we need to exercise faith day by day. But we all know that one of the problems we have is that there's still some ugly things in us. And we, we, can, we can sometimes go and we don't see them for a little bit. But then someone crosses us or we get anxious and we get, we get mad and all of a sudden we're doing crazy things or we go to things that we shouldn't go to in order to find comfort and it starts wrecking our lives. We see it in our anger against others and our lusts after things we should not have and our discontent with what God gives us and our reckless neglect of others and our ignoring God. So what do we do with this? <laughs> well, that's why there's more. As uh, Matthew Henry, great commentator, said, Besides the happiness in hand, there is a happiness in hope. And that's what I want to talk about now. I've talked about the present favor in which we stand, but now I want us to talk about the hope that we have for transformation into glory. Look at what it says, second part of verse 2. It says, We boast in the hope of the glory of God. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. So what does it mean that we boast? So there, there's a Greek word that's used here that the Apostle Paul uses a lot. And it really has a wide meaning. It's like anything that we, we can use the word boast, but it's also like we congratulate ourselves. We're something we're confident in, something that makes us happy, something that gives us optimism for the future, something that would give us hope, something that would give us confidence, give us, give us strength, that we would say, yes, this is something that gives me a confidence to move forward in the future. When we're talking about the boast, we're, we're, we're asking what causes us to feel optimism? What causes us to have confidence in the future? What makes us feel happy? That's the question we're talking about when we say we boast in the hope of the glory of God. When the boast is what is it that we say and can declare that will make us confident that something good is going to happen? Well, the answer is that it is a hope. It is a hope. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. So let's talk about what hope means. Hope is, a, is not just a, a sense that things might go well, but it's a firm expectation that things will go well. Now, there's a lot of things that we hope for and have a firm expectation will, that will turn out well that don't turn out well. Some people are just naturally optimists. They just think like, ah, everything's going to go good. But it doesn't always. On the other hand, some people think they don't have hope and they think everything's going to turn out badly. And I mean, you talk to them, right? It's like the, the say, hey, let's do this. Nah, it won't work. And, but so things, some things work, right? 
So the question is, what is the foundation of our hope? Now, a lot of times, what, what is it, to put it this way, what gives us optimism about the future? What makes us feel positive about the future? Well, it can be a variety of things. It could be economic opportunities that we think, hey, I get done with college and I'm going to get this job and I'm going to do really well. Or you say, I got another job I can get. Or if I just get this training, then I'll be able to get this job and then I'll, I'll be doing well. It could be a marriage that we think, hey, this is where I'm going to get happiness in the future is that I have this relationship. Or a lot of times it's kids. We're going to see our kids grow up. We're going to do well. We'll have a good relationship with them. We can see that it's church, that um, this is a place where I'll be able to, to see things grow. And in the future, I'll be able to in, enjoy it. It could be enjoying good things. Like we say, you know, July 4th, maybe you're looking forward to having a big barbecue. And you say, hey, this gives me confidence in the future. I'm going to be able to enjoy that. One of the big ones is vacations. Maybe some of you are on vacation right now or planning a vacation. You're like, hey, you know, things may be tough right now, but we get to have a vacation. The problem with all those things is that none of them are, are certain. All of every single one of those can fail. The people in our lives today may not be in our lives tomorrow for a variety of reasons. The money we thought we had may get sucked up in car repairs, house repairs, and medical bills. The, the vacation we thought we had might not come about. Now, I remember I was, we were getting ready. like We were days from going away to Egypt in uh, 2022, my wife and two of my kids. And, and then all of a sudden, I started feeling a little bit ill. And then it just kept getting worse. And I had got hit with the Omicron variant. So I wasn't going to be allowed to travel. And so we had to decide, what do we do? And um, it looked like we didn't know for sure if we'd even be able to reclaim that vacation. Um, happily, I was able, we were able to do it in September. But it was not certain. And I had some friends who actually were going to go on that trip in September. And, um, and they, but before that, they were going to go on a cruise uh, around the United Kingdom. And the planes got mixed up. They got a huge delay. And they just simply lost that vacation flat out. They didn't get refunds. It was just gone. They decided not to go to Egypt with us after that. You can understand not to put their hope in that. But that's what I mean is like hope. There's a lot of hopes we have that can disappoint. But what we're going to talk about here is a hope that doesn't disappoint. That even if, even if, even if you go home, you, you thought you had a good relationship with your wife, and she gets mad at you, and, and, and your marriage falls apart today, this hope will still be alive. Even if you're diagnosed with a sickness that's terrible, this hope will still be alive. Even if you don't get to do the things you want to do, this hope will still be alive. That's what we're talking about here. And what's it called? What is this hope? It's called the hope of the glory of God. The hope of the glory of God. Now, what does that mean? The glory of God, of course, can refer to God's own glory. The fact that he is awesome and amazing and glorious and marvelous and beautiful in every way. And so that when we see and understand God, he's more amazing and awesome than we can ever begin to think or imagine. That's the glory of God. And there is a hope in the glory of God in that those who have access now 
into this grace in which we stand, we'll see the glory of God. And maybe that's what's in, in view here, but I think it's something different. The hope of the glory of God um, means the, the Im- restoration of the image of God. God created human beings to reflect his glory, and that has been lost through our sinful, our fall into sin, and now is being restored through Jesus Christ. And it's begun now, and it's getting bigger and bigger and more glorious and more glorious. Romans 3.23 is a verse that if you've been around the church, you've probably heard a bunch of times. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, you probably got the for all have sinned part, but you may have never thought deeply about um, fall short of the glory of God part. So what does that mean that you fall short of the glory of God? Well, that human beings were created to reflect God's glory. Sin marred and destroyed that reflection. And so we fall short of the glory of God. We no longer reflect that glory that we're meant to reflect. Paul says in Romans 8 that the destiny of those who believe in Jesus is to share in the glory of Christ. And it says in verse 21 of chapter 8 that there is a glory of the sons and daughters of God that is going to be revealed in the future. It's in line with what Jesus prayed in John 17 verse 22. I have given them the glory... That you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I have given them the glory that you gave me. The glory of God is when we live in such a way that we reflect the glory of God and show forth his glory in the way that we live. It is a a soul and spirit that is reflected in bodily actions that totally reflects the character of God. And what, what, what is being said here. Is that, is that this is a certainty. This is something we can count on. We have hope in the glory of God. That God is making us into something beautiful and awesome and glorious. And that that is a hope that we can put our confidence in. All of the other hopes we have are a maybe. This hope is a definite yes. That's something we can boast in. It's something that we can give us optimism for the future. It's something that can give us confidence. It's something that we can rest on. It's something that we could say, yes, this is definitely happening. When other things are not happening, are happening that um, are not that good, when life isn't that going on, life is, is, is not turning out how you hope, your relationships aren't good, your work isn't good, you're not getting to enjoy the things you wanted to do, you've been working for 15 years and haven't t- been able to take a vacation, this is still going on. The glory of God is being revealed in you. It's a firm hope, and you can boast in it. You can be proud of it. You can be happy in it, not because it's you, but because God is doing this. It is the gift of God, eternal life, that is being changing us and making us new. And it's, so, it's, it's more amazing, really, than we can probably contemplate. C.S. Lewis, a great writer and theologian, had a way of capturing things like this. Um, difficult theological concepts. And one of the things he talked about is he talked about this transformation that is going on in us. And he said this. He says, this is what it's like. He says, it is a serious thing to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, 
if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. That's how glorious we are being changed into. That's the glory we are being changed into. God is making something beautiful out of us. So we're not stuck. We're not stuck with just being in a dull place, in a difficult place, in a place of unhappiness. We are being transformed into glory. That's something that can give us confidence no matter what happens to you this week. That's something that gives us hope. Things are good. Things are getting better. My dear brothers and sisters, I think all of us have lived a long enough time letting the opinions of men and women around us dictate to us how we think about ourselves. It's time for us to walk in the ways of faith and believe that we stand in the favor of God. It's, it's, we've lived long enough time letting what other people think we will become be the basis of our hope or the limit of our hope. And it's time to replace that with the hope that God gives us that we're being transformed into glory. That, my friends, is who we are. That is who we shall be. So let me encourage you to take it in and believe what God says and let it change your thought about yourself, give you wholeness, restore your, your give you peace, give you joy that will flow over into love and to others. Thus, thus may it be. Amen.